All right, Romans chapter 12. Before we pray us in this morning, let me take a peek, see, and let's just do a little quick recap. Last week, uh, we were in the big idea was everything's done in genuine love, Romans 12, 9 through 13. Remember, when we were there, it looked as if, well, this, this was the key, right? It's not about you. It's not about me. Can't have the focus be about us. Uh, something greater outside of yourself. That's what all believers must live. We're living uh, for Christ is our King and we're living in His kingdom for His purposes. It's not about you. Remember parents, I told you the big, biggest thing you can do for our country, our world, uh, this generation is teach your children. It's not all about them. Uh, it's, parents, we need you to be, be raising up those kids so that they're thinking about other people. And these were the apparent random ramblings. Remember last week? Some people, I'm still reading more commentaries this week where people are saying, and then we don't know what Paul did. He just kind of started throwing out a bunch. I don't think so. I don't think Paul lost his logic at all. I really think it's extremely logical. Matter of fact, this week I was really intrigued to, to see how he wrote this whole passage. And I think I have a clue on what he was doing. It's actually brilliant. But it appears to be random ramblings, but it's not. Remember, there's only one exhortation here. Let love be genuine. Love must be genuine. And then he starts to break that out and give us some ideas on how love can be genuine, not hypocritical. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted in love, honor one another, diligent in growth, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, joyful in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, share with God's people and practice hospitality. But the key exhortation was love must be genuine without hypocrisy. And then he gave us those things. This week's key exhortation. So here's how I think it's brilliant. Paul started verse 9 with the exhortation, let love be genuine. And he gives a whole list of things all the way to the end of chapter 12, verse 21. And I think he gives the second exhortation when he says... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Which is interesting because this is the last verse in our section. And we're going to go backwards now and find out how he got us to there. So I really think the section is so logical. It starts with an exhortation, let love be genuine. It gives us a lot of great ideas about how to live that out. And then he ends with the exhortation, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That brings us to today's idea It's love without limits. Last week, love must be genuine. This week, love without limits. Let's pray. Would you pray this prayer? You don't have to say anything out loud. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking of his last, the verse in this section, verse 21. We know we live in an evil world. (laughs) I don't have to convince you of that. Once again last night. Uh, We hear of a shooting that's taking place. We actually, in America, are averaging one mass shooting every week right now. It's obvious we live in an evil world. 
But I want to remind you that believers have always lived in an evil world. (laughs) From the beginning of time. It's not that things were a utopia and it's gotten bad since the 60s. Oh no. (laughs) No. You need to know that Paul is writing this book of Romans to who? Believers in Rome. Who's in charge? Rome. (laughs) Who's godless? Rome. (laughs) Who's who's anti-God? Rome. Believers were living in a world where everything was opposed to them. Sound familiar? Believers were living in a day and age where the world around them was secular and had no room for them saying what was wrong or right. Didn't believe in wrong or right. Do whatever makes you feel good was the call of the day. And today, it's the same thing. So you need to be reminded today as we get into this that the people that Paul were talking to you were, were a lot like you. The, the people we're going to read about that were reading this in the first church, these people are just like us. And they're hearing these same commands. And can I tell you, these commands sounded so weird to them, like they're going to sound weird to you today. They're not natural. None of these things that Paul are going to tell us to do, we say, piece of cake. So we're going to hear it looking at the lens of those people who also looked at it. And I remind you in Romans 12, 1 and 2, as he started this passage, it was living sacrifices, right? So Paul had told us, hey, lay down your life. You're to live for the king. You're a kingdom person. Live kingdom. (laughs) And so living sacrifices. Then he told us we're gifted spiritually to serve in the church, in the body. And then last week, we're told everything must be done in genuine love, which leads us to this week, is love has no limits. I think as the people were reading these things and hearing Paul give these things about, here's how you love, I think eventually they started saying, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Seriously? Does he really think that we're... Yeah. See, Paul is telling people, we live differently than this world. At any moment when you're living just like the world, you've got out of step with the Spirit. The Bible says keep in step with the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. So we don't get to take a day off. Guys, let me remind you, the moment you accepted Christ in your life, you're not just one of the boys. Ladies in the room, or women, I don't forget, what. there's so many things we're not allowed to call you anymore. I'm sorry. I still have a hard time. I'm an old school guy, so if I offend you by saying ladies, I don't understand that. But if I offend you, I don't mean to. Ladies, you're not just one of the girls anymore. And so therefore, when we read these words, we are to take them to heart. I mean, this is Paul telling us, this is how we live, believer. This is how we live. Let me read it for you. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's jump into it. I see uh, two ways we can divide these, these things up. The first one is display sacrificial love on your notes if you're filling those in. Display sacrificial love. There's going to be two types of love here today, and the first one is sacrificial love, and I would tell you that I would go backwards and look at the list that we got from last week, and these were in that section, okay? So I had to divide things up to take some time and make sure we explain things. Remember, we can't always fly the 747 at 30,000 feet, 547 miles an hour. We've got to land in in the field and smell the roses, right? And so last week, we slowed it down, but I would tell you that all those things, when Paul said love must be genuine, then that list of things, it falls into this first category of displaying sacrificial love. So let's continue with the list. The first thing he said was, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. What is this? What is this bless? What is this curse? The word bless in the Greek is eulogio. That's a hard one to say. Eulogio. It sounds like a word we have, doesn't it? What, What does the word sound like that we have? eulogy you got it yeah so I do funerals you know I've never had a funeral believe it or not because I've had weird funerals I've had strange things happen I mean I've I've been at one when the family member got onto the casket and was trying to pull the jewelry off of the deceased in front of everybody it's like okay I've seen some strange things thankfully to this day I've never had somebody walk up grab a mic and eulogize the person who died by saying, man, he was a jerk. Man, we know this guy was a jerk. We hated this guy. Everybody with me? He's a scumbag. That's never happened, thank the Lord. Now, I understand that in funerals, a lot of people get up and lie <laughs> because, because it's their funeral and, and they do say nice things. I mean, if there's a prayer you should pray today is, Lord, Let me actually live up to my eulogy that's coming. Somebody's going to stand up and talk about how great you were. I pray that we actually live up to those words. I had to do a funeral once, and I didn't know the people. I was asked as a pastor to come in, and I tried my hardest to get information, but nobody was telling me anything. I should have had a clue right then and there. And, and, and I'm trying, I mean, the wife, I'm trying, the, the children wouldn't even speak to me. And uh, I, I was like, I don't know. So I got up and I did the best funeral I could do. There was maybe 25 people in the room. I did the best I could. But you could feel the tension in the room. You ever, anybody ever been there before where you're like, something's not right? I did the whole thing. Finished it, went home, and Julie's like, how'd it go? I said, that was awful. I said, Julie, it's weird. It's like I didn't know something. Yep. That later that week, I ran into somebody at the store, Beaky's, and I'm like, hey, that funeral in your family, I mean, and they're like, oh, yeah, he was a jerk. I mean, we hated that guy. He was awful. He was abusive. He was mean. He was drunk. He was, and they started naming all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I, I could feel it, right? Eulogies are the time when you speak well. Everybody say well. You speak well of somebody. And the Bible in this passage says, Christian believer, bless those, eulogize those, speak well of those who persecute you. Again, not just friendly people, because remember the Bible says in another section, what good is that? Even unbelievers are good to people who are good to them. 
I'm telling you, and this is what the Bible always does. The Bible always takes the bar and raises it higher for the believer. We're taught to bless those, speak well of someone. Now listen, we can only bless our persecutors and not curse them if we are more concerned about their eternal welfare than our suffering. Let me say it again. We can only bless those who persecute us when we become more concerned about their eternal welfare than our suffering. I'm not saying this is easy. I told you from the get-go, it's going to get worse too. Watch out. These are hard instructions that the people in the church had to be going, what? I mean, I got the part. I was with you, Paul, when you said let love be genuine. I was with you. I'm ready to try hard. I was with you when you said be hospitable. Okay, I'll really try hard. Now all of a sudden you're saying, bless those who persecute you? Rome is awful to us. They, they want us gone. They want us to out of the... They, they, they hate us. Yes, yeah, speak well. How can you possibly speak well of somebody? One thing I would tell you is if you have enemies, if you have people that are persecuted, you start praying for them every day. It's not that they're going to change but God just might change you. God just might change you. The second thing Paul says, I'm just going verse by verse here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This sounds simple, but again, it's, it's, it's difficult when you think about it. We know that shared joy is double joy and shared sorrow is half a sorrow, amen? I like, sometimes I like Christian math and there's good Christian math for you. When you rejoice with somebody, we double the joy. But you, you mourn with somebody, you cut the grief in half. I love that. Mourn with those who mourn. But what I would say here, why this can be difficult, because rejoicing and mourning, we can only rejoice and mourn with others if our focus is off ourselves and on their situation. See, believers, this is what Paul was trying to say was you need to practice selflessness. Spend time rejoicing with those who rejoice. Celebrate with people. Not only in the church, God's people, but people in the world. Celebrate the good times with them. And then mourn with them. Some of you might say, that's difficult. I don't know what to say. Don't say anything, please. Understand that what you need to do to mourn with people, let me just give you a tip. Because as a pastor, I end up having to be in weird situations. I'm called to be in the hospital the moment somebody passes away, or I'm called to be at the home when, when grandma passes away, and I'm there at the moment. And, and let me just tell you the secret. You're like, yeah, but pastor, you have words. No, I don't. I feel awkward like you do. It's hard. It's hard every time. You know what I've learned to do? Shh. <laughs> You know what? Here's the key to mourning with people who are mourning. Show up. Period. Show up. Honestly, in grief and in times of great emotion, people aren't going to remember the words you say. So don't sit at home crafting this wonderful thought that you're going to give them that you think they're going to go, oh, wow, or it her friend of mine. You have blessed me with many words. No, no. They're probably not going to remember anything, but they will remember you were there. They'll remember you were there. I get thank you notes from people all the time that says, you know, thank you for being there. And then sometimes they say, and for the words you shared. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I really didn't. You don't remember. I was there though. <laughs> I was with you. Be with them when they rejoice. Be with them when they mourn. And then Paul says, 
Live in harmony with one another. And this word harmony there has the mentality of you don't always get along, but disagree agreeably over non-essentials. If it's non-essential, what are the essentials? Let me just give you the verse in First Corinthians. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again according to the Scriptures. Those are essential. Now those we don't, we're not going to argue about. We're not going to say, okay, we'll agree to disagree. No, on those things I'm pretty much going to say, no. <laughs> uh, we're firm on those. But see, there's not a whole bunch of those. So there's a lot of room to disagree. But we got to do it in harmony. How do we do it in harmony? Disagree agreeably over non-essentials. We can only live in unity if we keep our eyes on the Lord, not ourselves. Are you catching the theme? Do you see how Paul is writing this? Every one of these are about selfless love. How did he start it? Let love be genuine. Love is the selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it, not expecting anything in return. Amen? That's the definition. So Paul is just hammering this out. This is what sacrificial love looks like. And after that, he says, do not be proud or conceited. This means willing to be a servant like Jesus. Selflessness is the key to sacrificial love. This haughty, there's so many words we could use about do not be proud or conceited. The actual word in this verse doesn't just mean an attitude it actually says be willing to associate with people in lowly position. What, what, the, what Paul is trying to say here is be willing to serve like a servant. Be willing to actually do servant-type jobs. Humble yourself. Do not be proud or conceited. Don't think you're above that. And then the example is Jesus. I mean, that's what Jesus did. The King of kings and Lord of lords got on his knees and washed people's feet. And so this verse, Paul is really saying, this is what love sacrificial looks like. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. I love this verse. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Sacrificial love. Everybody say sacrificial. And then he makes a turn. So do you see the logic? I hope you're following me and I hope you agree with me. You don't have to agree with me, but I hope you agree with me that this is very logical, the way he's laying it out. It's not random. It's not just weird thoughts popping in his head. He's talking about genuine love. He's talking it all the way through, and it's really amping up here to be, oh, I see, genuine love is sacrificial. This is hard. And then he just like plugs in the amp and turns up the volume, and you hear the, because we're moving from sacrificial love to supernatural love. Write that down in your notes. He's, he's going to go into a section now that if you thought being sacrificial was hard, these things, it's going to take an act of God for you to do. Now, I'm a serious believer. I believe these things are going to take a miracle. What's a miracle? If, if you were to define a miracle, a miracle is God's effort on our behalf. And I think this, these kind of things are going to take a miracle work of God in yours and my life in order to live them out. This is not just sacrificial love. This is supernatural love. You ready? 
He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Well, that's downright not fair because my flesh tells me fight fire with fire. Amen? Anybody else with me? Come on, let's see a raise of hand. Anybody here feel that way sometimes? You feel like, you know what? You're not taking advantage of me. I'm no wimp. I'm not a carpet you can walk all over. And so naturally, and that's the point. That's why this is supernatural. Stay with me. Supernatural. Naturally, we want to fight fire with fire. Somebody does evil to us, we want to repay evil for evil. That's natural. But Paul is talking supernatural stuff. He's talking an act of God stuff. And he's saying, he actually says in some of your translations, never repay evil with evil. The word never is medin, medin in the Greek. Never. Day one, don't do it. Day two, don't, day three, don't, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Never. Everybody say never. You're not just one of the boys. You're not just one of the girls. As a believer, the bar has been raised really high and we must live like no one else. (laughs) So when they pay us with evil, you do not repay evil with evil. Avoid retaliation. Mm. Be careful to do what was right in the eyes of everyone. The flesh says react. When, when evil is done, the natural thing is react, right? Quickly, like, boy, boom, I'm going to react. Instead, Paul is trying to teach us to think beforehand. That's what it actually means here is to think before something happens, right? I told teens for years in, in sexual purity, I would talk to them about going to Perspiration Point, and they don't know what that is. Remember, remember back in the 50s, you used to go to Inspiration Point? Remember that? Uh, Fonzie did, right? Eh. Uh, I would tell the teens, don't go to Perspiration Point and then decide where your standards are because it's too late. <laughs> when you're in the situation, like they're like, yeah, but I'm not gonna. I've had so many teens look me in the eye and say, but pastor, I'm serious. I'm not going to go too far with the opposite sex. I'm not going to, I'm going to save myself. And they're sure and they're strong and they mean it, but they don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They're really good at it when they don't have somebody they're really, and I'm like, okay, but the moment you find somebody you really like, you better think beforehand because if you wait to get the perspiration point, it's too late. (laughs) And this is what Paul is talking to us about. He's saying, Be careful to do what's right. How are you going to do that if you react in the flesh? Remember, Paul is saying this is supernatural stuff. This is not flesh stuff. You cannot just react when evil is done to you. So think about it ahead of time. How am I going to respond? This would behoove me if every day I got in my car and I prayed over it before I drove it. I ought to do that every day. Oh, Lord. Help the driver of this car to be nice. Help them to bless those who bless them. Help them not to curse. <laughs> help them, help them, Lord. Right? I had to think ahead of time. Now, Lord, well, I know when I get to this intersection, because every time I get to this intersection, I'm ready for a fight. I'm looking for the person who's going to drive me nuts. I'm ready. So, Lord, help me not to think that way. I need to think ahead of time. Okay, Don, you're going to be in this situation. Lord, Lord I, one of these days is going to be one of you. Isn't that going to be bad? When you're like trying to cut into the left lane 
and you're not supposed to be there and you didn't think ahead and then you come to cut me off and it's me and I'm your pastor going, you idiot, oh hi. (laughs) That'll be awkward. (laughs) So Lord, help me. Help me not to react. Help me to think ahead of time so that I can always do what's right. You won't do what's right if you don't prepare yourself ahead of time. Do you catch how he's saying that? And then Paul moves on to say, live at peace with everyone. Our flesh says war. <laughs> peace is hard. I, I really do think it's, it's kind of the flesh, the, the unsaved before finding Jesus part of us is let's just let them have it. Come on. Full barrel. Let's let them have it. And, and, and God says, no, I want you to do everything in your power to live in peace. Now, I I do want to say it's interesting in this one case, Paul does tell us, as long as it depends on you, and if possible. Look back at the passage, Romans 12. This is the first two caveats I see to any of these things. Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, You can't really live at peace with everybody because it takes two to tango. And they might not want to live in peace. But what Paul is saying is, even though you can't control how they respond, control how you respond. If possible, live at peace as far as it depends on you. And Paul is telling us, it's on you. How you react. If they don't want to live in peace, you can't control that. But don't be the one. (laughs) Don't be the one that continues a war. For years, we've been buying my mother-in-law pigs. I don't know when it started. Nobody really knows. Um, But especially flying pigs. Pigs with wings. Believe it or not, they're all over the place. That's the worst part. Everywhere we go, my wife's like, Ah, it's a flying pig. We've got to buy it from my mom. Ah, everywhere we go. She's got so many that they're, they're, they're overflowing into my home now. I've got a pig with wings on it above my fridge. Pigs with wings. And I, I, you know, I bought in. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, this is her thing. I have rhinoceroses. I like rhinos. So if you're out and you see a rhino, buy me the rhino. I love that. I'll put it in my office. I mean, she has pigs. And I never thought of it until we were going through a situation as a, as a greater family, a very difficult situation. And I was telling Diane, I was telling my mother-in-law, the flying pig lady, I was telling her, Diane, you, you don't want to get in the mud with that person. Because if you get in the mud, then both of y'all are covered in mud. And she goes, I know. Thus the flying pigs. Oh. That's what that means. Did you know that? I didn't. You're probably like, yeah, dummy. I, I didn't know that. But pigs with wings is a reminder to people to stay out of the mud. Fly above it. I've been very kind to call it mud, but can I just be honest? It's poop. If you want to live at war, you're going to have to get in the poop with people. Flying pigs. <laughs> Let's fly above it. Let's not muck in it. And I think that's what Paul is trying to explain to us today. Live at peace as far as it depends on you. And then this is the interesting one. Do not take revenge. Oh, but it feels good. It just, that one's like, oh, come on. That's like somebody saying, no coffee. What? That's not right. 
This is so right. This feels so normal to, to take revenge. Like, mm, I'll show them. I mean, that's in us. That's the flesh. Did you notice that each one of these, I put flesh says, flesh says fight, fire with fire. Spirit says never. Flesh says react. Spirit says think first. Flesh says war. Spirit says do everything in your power to live in peace. When it comes to revenge, the flesh says give it. Just give it. They deserve it. Mm. I will feast on the feeling of revenge. But the Spirit says, do good and leave room. The actual word there is didomi, didomi, which means give place for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath. It is for the Lord to repay. It is the Lord's object of vengeance, not yours. You don't get to do that. We don't get to do that, friends. And again, I'm telling you, these are hard. That's why I'm saying this morning, these are supernatural. We went from sacrificial when we amped it all the way up to supernatural kind of love. It's, it really feels natural to want to give people what they deserve. And I want to I stop here because I think there's a misunderstanding of Scripture I want to try to correct. I want to I read that part. Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room, Dodomi, for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, now listen to this, very important. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now in this whole thing, friends, Paul has been telling you to do right, to always do what's good. Don't wallow in the mud. Don't get in there with the pigs. Don't get in the poop. Fly above it. And now he's saying, let the Lord, give room for the Lord to do what the Lord does. It's God's. He will take care of evil. He will. But and here's the problem in this passage that I think so many people have misunderstood. They love the next verse. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Yeah! And we as believers, man, we've caught into that. Out of everything Paul just said, we take this one line, which comes out of a proverb, by the way. He's quoting a proverb here. And as if the Lord has told us, it's okay to hate people, and it's okay to want coals dumped on their head. And that is wrong. I don't want to step on toes too hard this morning, but if you've been living this verse and saying, you know what, that person, I despise that. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take cookies. I'm going to give them to them. I'm going to take cookies. I'm going to give them those cookies. And I hope they choke on them. You know, I hope they have burning coals on their head and fire. And, and they... let, me, let me just ask. Does anything you've heard Paul say seem to lead toward that attitude? Does anything... No. No, friends, let me just, as your pastor, tell you. If you want to do good to somebody to hurt them, if that is your motivation, is to give it back to them in a way that, ah, they're going to choke on this. Ah, they're going to hate this. If that's your motivation, don't do it. You're not right. Matter of fact, just a few verses ago, he said, always do what's right. And the verse right before this says, if your enemy's hungry... Give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This wasn't done with an attitude to choke him and drown him. This was done with an attitude of they have a need. You love. Love 
is sacrificial, selfless, willing sacrifice of the, for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it, not expecting anything in return. Christian, your attitude should not be to live out heap burning coals on their head. If that's your attitude and that's your heart, you're not right. We can't. We can't do that. Paul was so logical here in these two verses to say, don't take revenge. Leave room for the Lord. Love people sacrificially. Leave room for the Lord. Always do good. Does that mean that the Lord might convict them and they might struggle over your kindness? Yeah, that might happen. Might it be like a burning coal on their head that they just are fumed by the fact that they can't get you in the mud? Will they be struggling mad because they can't drag you in the poop and you're just flying above it? Yes. That's the Lord, not you. Don't do it for that. That's the Lord's work. Paul was saying, leave room for God. And then he quoted Proverbs, how God does his business, but that's not your way. Your way is do what's right. Not for an evil purpose. Fly above it. That brings us to this week's key exhortation, the last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You've heard me preach this. This is the, the one verse when I was given the opportunity to address Oxford High School's administration and staff and bus garage and all the, everybody that works at Oxford High School, I was given the opportunity to stand in front of back in December after the shooting. They were meeting for training, and we had given them $20,000 worth of of blessings for those staff people. And because of that, Dawn Sterner, who goes to our church, was the lead uh, secretary. And she said to the principal, why don't you let my pastor come and say a word? And they did. They allowed me to come say a word. And this is the word I shared with them, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's one of my favorite verses, and most of you in this room actually wear the logo of one of the words in this passage. The word is overcomer, which is the word nikao, which means victory. And how many of you have something with the word Nike on it? Anybody wearing a Nike shirt or a shoe? You do? How many of you have a Nike shoe or a shirt somewhere? Thank you. We know what Nike is, right? This amazes me that Nike does not use this in their advertisement, but the word Nike is a Greek word that means victory. To me, that makes no sense. I mean, Nike, hello. You should put that on every one of your, at the top of every Nike advertisement, it's just saying, Nike means victory. Wear my stuff and you win. That's what they mean. But they never have promoted the fact that their word is a Greek word, a biblical word that means victory. So in this context, we see it with an antonym and then a synonym. Do not be overcome by evil. The antonym there was defeated. Don't be defeated by evil. The opposite of victory. Don't be defeated by evil. But have victory over evil with good. Nikao. Nikao. That ought to be in your mind every day. God, Nikao. 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 Give me victory, God. But give it to me when I'm good. It's, it's through goodness, not repaying evil with evil. What's the conclusion? May you and I refuse to be defeated by evil. May we always do what is right and good. And God will bring us the victory over evil.
Believer, I know this is hard. I know when I preach these things, these aren't easy, but they're God's truths. And we've been called to higher living. So I'm going to challenge you to pray and talk to God about this in your own life. We're going to move into a time of communion. Meg's going to come and play the piano for us. So this is a great opportunity just to pause and prepare our hearts. I'll read for you in 1 Corinthians. There's a warning in Scripture. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. Friends, I don't want you to do anything unadvisable today. So I'd challenge you to take some time with the Lord and quietly pray. You can actually kind of replay the moments of your last week. Lord, was I doing this? Was I living love unconditionally? That agape kind of God love that the world doesn't understand? Was I living that out by being generous and hospitable, joyful in hope and fervent in prayer and diligent in growth? What, what Was I doing these things this week, Lord? And then as we walk through the passage today, God, was I displaying sacrificial love? Was I displaying supernatural love? Don't beat yourself up, but ask the Lord for His help. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to do this beyond natural. God, I need a miracle. I need you to work in my life and my heart so I'm prepared to do what's right even when it's hard, even when people speak evil about you. Bless them. Eulogize them instead of cursing them. Take some time and talk to the Lord about this. down in verse 23 it says for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread if you could prepare the bread that you were given today in the packet and just prepare to take the bread Father we thank you for this piece of bread God we thank you that it represents a wonderful gift a sacrificial willing sacrifice on our behalf even when we didn't deserve it not expecting anything in return that's how Jesus treated us God we thank you that he his body was broken and the Bible makes it very clear that it was done for me and for the people in this room we thank you God for Jesus the Bible goes on to say and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper. Father, we thank you for this juice. Represents the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no propitiation. God, we're thankful that this sacrifice from your son was what satisfied justice. Ah, in one moment, Lord, you 
satisfy the need for justice by giving love. We thank you for the blood of Jesus which purifies us and cleanses us. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Partake. as off as you eat this bread and drink the cup which display God's love until he comes